Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of Revolution Recap. Joining you again during the suspended period of play for coronavirus with no Revolution games going on. We had an opportunity to bring you another Revolution legend, Jay Heaps. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Greg Johnstone. Greg, how you doing? Good. It's a, a really great interview. I don't want to say I was surprised that uh, he was willing to come on the podcast because, as we mentioned, he's been on the show a few times before. But it was really great to talk to Jay, and uh, he gave some really great answers to a lot of the questions that we asked him. We asked him a few, I'd say, tough questions. So, um, But he was extremely open and honest, and uh, I, I, I really enjoyed this interview. I think it's my favorite interview yet. Yeah, and just really quickly, I wanted to touch on some of his credentials because, as we discussed in a, in a past episode when I think the Revolution Best 11 came out and we're kind of shocked that Jay Heaps wasn't on it. That, that was the one released by the team that was voted on by the fans. He was on the one that uh, Julian Cardillo put out, which was the one that was you know media and, and podcasters that I got to vote in. Um, but just quickly, Jay Heaps, as a player, uh, was part of the Revolution team that made it to the 2001 U.S. Open Cup final, the first time the Revolution had made it to a championship. He was part of the team that made it to the 2002 MLS Cup final, first MLS Cup final the Revolution had made it to. He was part of the team that made it to the 2005, 2006, 2007 MLS Cup final, all those as a player. Um, and then he was part of the team that won the U.S. Open Cup in 2007, the Rev's first championship, part of the U.S. part of the Super League championship team in 2008 as a player, and then came back as a coach, led the team to MLS Cup 2014, um, where unfortunately they were again runners-up, and then led the team to the U.S. Open Cup final in 2016, where they were again runners-up. So Jay Heaps was literally a part of every single finals appearance the Revolution have had as either a player or a coach, which is pretty amazing stat. Um, and obviously a revolution legend as a guy that, you know, grew up in New England, started his career in Miami, but was quickly traded to the Revs after, you know, his third season in. Um, but it was it was very exciting to talk to Jay Heaps. He was pretty open with us. Uh, I think my my only regret is that, you know, we had some time constraints and there were a few questions that I would have loved to have followed up on that I think we, in the interest of trying to get through everything, didn't follow up on. So hopefully in the future there will be a, a part two, perhaps, where we follow up on some of those things and, you know, ask him a bit more about uh, Birmingham and how he's brought down so many former Revs as, as players and coaches down there, um, as well as following up on some of his more more of his information from when he was coaching the Revolution, because I think there's a, a lot to dig into there. And you know, b- based on the amount of finals he's been in as a player and coach, as you just heard, I think we could have probably spent you know four or five hours with Jay Heaps, but didn't want to hold him that long. So without wasting more time, we'll jump into to Jay Heaps' interview. We can play that now. We're joined today by former New England Revolution defender and head coach Jay Heaps, who is currently the president and GM of the Birmingham Legion of the USL Championship. Jay, how are you doing in these kind of crazy times? Yeah, unsettling to say the least. Um, you know, it, it's really difficult um, because every day seems to to be a, a step forward or two steps forward, and then and you know then you then you hear something that pulls you back. But um, trying to have an even keel, making sure that uh, you know we look at this. Uh, you know, from a couple different angles, what's best for USL and what's best for, you know, each team within the USL. And I got to ask you quickly, for those that don't know, Revolution Recap started as a radio show back in Providence in 2005. And Brad Feldman actually used to help us either get a player or a coach from the team on every, almost every week. Um, we looked back in the archives and realized that you were the only player to have to appear three times in those first four years. I got to ask, did you lose a bet to Brad? <laughs> no, but gee, I didn't know that. That's good. I, I do remember calling in. I, that was, that was really good. I'm glad you guys were 
running strong. It's really important. Every time, you know, I, I think I knew back then, um, you know, kind of coming through this at grassroots to whether it was, you know, in the community for, for, you know, call it youth, youth soccer, youth sports, or, or whatever it may be. But, you know, even, even these, these, these type of podcasts that grow and grow and, and teach, teach about the game, teach about the personalities on the field is, is just huge for, for soccer every, every year and every year continues to grow. Well, and we thank you for taking the time to help us grow, Jay. Before we talk to you about your career uh, as a player and as a coach with the Revs, we want to talk about what you're doing now in Birmingham. Uh, you became the first president and GM of the Legion, uh, and you had your inaugural season in 2019. Uh, what led you to Birmingham? <laughs> All right, jump right in. This is, so, um, you know, it, it, it's an actually a pretty interesting story because it was not totally um, – it wasn't totally on my radar. I'd been here once, actually uh, recruited Kellen Rowe here. He was in the Final Four um, for UCLA, and that was my very first year, 2011, uh, when I say recruiting scouting. So I saw him play in the Final Four for UCLA, and it was in Hoover. And that was my really only time I'd actually been to Alabama. So fast forward to, um, you know, call it fall of 2017. I was just, you know, I, I had a few interviews um that I was working on in MLS, uh, one as a, one as a head coach, another as an assistant coach and the other, um, as kind of a technical director. So I was taking those interviews, um, and then out of nowhere, um, it was actually Remy Roy, um, who's, you know, goal with my goalkeeper coach and now, um, you know, scout for, you know, head scout for the revs now, um, connected me with someone he knew in Birmingham that was, they were starting this USL team. And so what, what I took as kind of, I looked at it as more of a favor for Remy, um, turned into a great conversation with, with someone from Birmingham, um, about, you know, and he, and he, he works, he works at our club now, but he was kind of the, the front person of, of tracking down potential, um, you know, potential GMs and presidents. So I, I actually got on a call with the, the owners and, um, then flew down here and instantly saw their vision, instantly fell in love with, with, um, with Birmingham, not really even knowing much about it. Um, but, getting my wife to, to come down and visit was, was hurdle too. And, um, you know, she really fell in love with it. And, and so I looked at it like this, it was a challenge. Uh, it was something that I was, it felt like I was blending, um, a little bit of, of both my background since that I was a, you know, an econ major in college. Um, you know, I, I, I went down, you know, I was working at Morgan Stanley before I took the head coach head coaching job in new England. And, and what I wanted to do was, you know, I think, you know, ultimately my strengths are, are in identifying talent are as a GM, uh, in a GM capacity, but I also wanted to experience, um, you know, a present role, a revenue generating role that, that basically started from scratch. So it was a really, it is a really big challenge. It, it was to start because we started with, um, you know, I was really the first employee that to build it to what we have now, which is a front office and, um, and then build the first team. So challenge was there. Um, and really excited to blend a, a lot of what I had in, in, um, you know, in, in my background to, to feel that we can make, make it su- successful. I don't, I don't know if you can comment on, the, on this, but are you optimistic on a 2020 USL season at all? You know, I am optimistic. Um, I think, I think how it looks and what it will, uh, how it looks and feels will be completely different than, than what we anticipate and probably even how I envision it today. Um, but I am, I, I, I think the first hurdle, obviously first and foremost is, is the safety of fans, players, staff. Um, so that's critical, but, Using that that guiding principle, I do feel like um, with the Bundesliga going off, with um, you know, Premier League making steps to get to contact practice, once we can get there and our players are feel safe about it, testing is is more um, you know more you know call it price um, you know pri- you know 
price accepted in a sense where it's not going to, you know, if we can test enough times without feeling, you know, a million dollar burden for that. So the, the idea is that if we get that right, we get the players feeling comfortable and safe and, and not putting them in harm's way. And then we can start looking at what, um, you know, limited capacities could be for, for stadiums. And, and that's a, that's a really challenge going forward. But I, I am as, as we get closer in the last you know week to two weeks, I've, I've started to feel a little bit more bullish on a 2020 season. Jumping back into your playing career quickly, um, you, you know, obviously Massachusetts guy, grew up in Longmeadow. You had a very successful career at, at Duke uh, where you both played basketball and soccer. Uh, then you got drafted second overall in the 1999 MLS draft. What was it like as a rookie going to Miami? And did you have any indication going into the draft that Miami was a team interested in you? Oh, wow. You're going way back, Sean. Um, <laughs> so crazy. That is a crazy story. The answer is no. The night before. So you got to remember this draft was a little different because Jason Moore, who, who played for New England, was drafted by D.C. United in, like, December, right? Like, he he gra- he said he was leaving school. So D.C., like, pre had already drafted. So everyone knew that they had already picked um, Jason Moore's number one pick. So really the number two, three, four, five was was kind of kind of the, the top two, th- you know, three, four picks. So the night before, the back then, you we played, and I'll never forget this, so we played in front of all the GMs and coaches, and the game ended, and this was all in Miami. Um, it, was at, it was actually at Fort Lauderdale, it was in Fort Lauderdale at Lockhart Stadium. And I was um, brought over by the GM of, um, of San, San Jose, and they had the number three pick. So number two, I believe at the time, was, was Dallas, I think. It may have been Dallas. I don't know who was the number two. I think it was Dallas. And I think they had already said that they wanted to take, um, you know, someone else, like Lazo, uh, someone from Indiana. And, and I can't remember his last name now. But so – the reality felt like one and two were done. Three was going to be the next pick. And that was San Jose. And they were like, Hey, look, we're going to take you tomorrow. Just want to let you know, we're, we're, you know, this would be great. So going to bed that night, I thought I was going to San Jose and my mom was with me, um, in, in Miami. So we had a nice night talking about what San Jose might be like. Well, the next morning, you know, this is before I even had a cell phone. I'm walking in. I don't even, I, I kind of, I didn't have an agent or anything like that, but I had a, a friend that was kind of, um, helping, uh, do some stuff and he wasn't even there, but I got pulled over by the Miami GM. He was like, Hey, listen, you're not gonna believe this. We made a trade about two hours ago for you. We traded the number two spot. We're going to take you. Um, but it hasn't been announced yet. So just so you know, when we're going up there, you're going to be taken, you know, by Miami. So it was, it was a, it, I had no idea until that morning. And then when it was drafted, it was, it was great news. And the craziest thing was I then had to fly back to Duke and then fly back to Miami. Like it was all right there. So I actually, I think I stayed an extra night, picked out where I was going to live, Flew back to Duke, packed up my stuff, and then flew back. Uh, flew back to Miami all pretty quickly. So, nineteen ninety nine was a good season for you, when an MLS Rookie of the Year. But then, fast forward a couple of years, you know, you had been very successful in Miami, and then it seemed like in, in two thousand one, you kind of became more of a rotational role there. And then there were reports that after you were traded, that said you were kind of looking to return home that year. What what led to that trade from Miami to New England? So it was it was actually a pretty difficult time. I. Um, I was actually that in that that winter. I'd spent um, three weeks of the national team with actually with Bruce Arena as the as the coach. So I was there for the January camp, um, so I actually felt really good going into the 2001 season. Um, but what ha- I think I started the first seven or eight games, and then um, my mother fell ill. Uh, my mother's uh, from Massachusetts, Massachusetts. She has since passed, but she was um, she was was at the time we were talking about having. She was talking about having a lung transplant, and it was going to be at Mass General. So. That started to weigh a little bit. Um, you know, I wasn't playing great. So then, you know, you start to, to, to battle the two things. And um, I actually, um, I'll never forget this. I did go in and talk to, to Doug Hamilton, who was the GM at the time. 
Um, and, and he was the Miami GM. He, and he, sent, he went after that to LA and he was um, pretty instrumental in them building their huge, um, you know, I think that he, he was the, he wasn't the GM in maybe 2002 or a year after, but when they, when they won it against us in 05, he was the GM. But the reality was he, he sent some, you know, some why, what I was doing, where I was at. And, um, you know, I kind of said, look, I'm, I gotta be honest with you. I would, I'd like to go home if possible. Um, and he said, look, you're, you know, you had a great last year. I was an all-star. I was an ML, I was a uh, rookie of the year in 99, all-star in 2000, just came from the January camp. Yeah. I started the first eight games, hadn't played in probably four or five, um, you know, was coming off the bench at four or five, you know, but they still wanted some value. So he's like, look, I'll call new England. Um, but I'll also have to call and make sure that, you know, we get fair value for you. But in the end, um, he had had, you know, he had had some history. His, his father had a lung condition. So he kind of, um, understood my kind of where I was. He knew my family pretty well, my mom and dad. So, um, in the end he had, I'll be honest, it was a crazy story. I did not know where I was going. Colorado was making a hard push as was new England to make the trade. And when I landed in, when I land, so then I knew I was going to new England. I was, I was actually warming up on the field. It was an open cup game. And I was about to start that game. And Ray Hudson came over and said, Hey, look, you've just been traded. You come off the field. You can't play. Um, so I had to watch the game, hung out with the team. And then, um, it was actually North Carolina. Could you imagine this? We were in North Carolina. So I had no, I had a, it was like a one day trip. So I flew directly from there up because new England was playing. I think we were playing on the Tuesday night. New England was playing on the Wednesday night, um, against Colorado. So imagine this, I pull up, I get in the air, I land the next day on the Wednesday, go into the, um, go into the uh, hotel and the Colorado guys start high-fiving me. They thought I was traded to Colorado. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh no, I was like, I'm actually playing against you guys tonight. And so coach, um, uh, it was, uh, who was your coach? Tommy, um, oh, I'm going to remember his name now. Um, oh man, I can't forget. Uh, but, but it was like Mark Chung, those guys were all in there like, hey, we're, we're so excited to have you here. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm actually playing for New England tonight. So that was a crazy story. But it, in the end, Doug Hamilton got me home. It was it was never easy, uh, but I was really excited to be able to get back around family and friends. And uh, my heart was always in New England. And, and that was why, you know, at the end, when um, even at the end of my playing career, there were opportunities to leave and, and I was not going anywhere. I, I wanted to finish my career in New England. And, and we actually talked to uh, one of your teammates um, on our last podcast, Teddy Chronopoulos, who, yeah. first of all, wanted us to say hi to you for him and congratulate you on the, the GM job at Birmingham. Uh, but he also mentioned that your practices back then were, were really competitive and that you and him in particular actually used to go really hard at each other. Was the atmosphere kind of in the team any different than what you had in Miami? And what was it about that kind of 2001 team? And you know, what can you tell us about the run it made to, to make it to the Open Cup final, the first final at the Rose River End? We're going deep into the, the, the archives. Yeah, our training sessions were were insane in 01. So, so they were not like that. So I always train that way. And our training sessions were like that later. But in 01, I was new to the new there. And and so in Miami, or excuse me, to, to New So when I when Miami was really tough, but then in 01, Preki went there and um, some older players started to go there, Ivan McKinley, and they just started to, you know, Henry Gutierrez. So they training sessions in Miami, I would just I would want it to be more challenging, harder. And so I was always looking for like, you know, to battle for. And, and so and I think they were like good riddance when I finally left. Cause I was always looking. So when I got to new England in 01, it was like bloodbath every training session, right? You had Leo Alvarez out there. You had Rusty Pierce, Teddy Chronopoulos, Joe Franchino, Jay Heaps. Like it was a bloodbath to get through training, right? It was really intense. It was, it was actually a lot of fun, but yeah, Teddy would probably tell you, like, Teddy and I could take it to a level and, and really get there. But we also knew when to just turn off just in time. And, um, 
you know, I remember my, I do remember this and Andy Williams will always laugh. So Rusty Pierce. So we're, we're having training. Rusty didn't like a call that Fernando Clavijo made, uh, God, and, and, and God rest it, uh, Fernando Clavijo's soul because you know, he passed. But Rusty started kicking every ball out of training. So we were playing like six for six and we had like 15 balls and he got so mad because he didn't like the call and Fernando kicked him out and he goes, well, if I'm leaving, everyone's leaving. And he kicked all the balls out of the field. So we had no balls. And I remember looking at Andy Williams and he started laughing. I looked at Teddy Kronopoulos and he was like, what are you going to do? But that, so like the intensity was there, but I'd never seen, I'd never seen a player kick every ball over a fence into the woods. I mean, it took us 10 minutes to find every ball. I mean, it was that kind of, that kind of day. What was it like playing in front of a packed stadium for the uh, MLS cup in 2002? Yeah, that was special. That was special. Um, because that was, I really think that was, you know, kind of that year Steve Nichol came in, um, you know, you know, Fernando was, was fired halfway through the year and everything kind of turned and toward the end of that year, we went on a pretty good run. Um, but I think that was the starting point of really getting, you know, making our, you know, starting to build the, the roster for the future for, you know, for that 2000s run. Um, and so for me, being from New England, playing out there, uh, that was pretty, that was pretty exciting. And my family was there. I had, you know, tons of friends that, that I grew up with all there. So yeah, that was, that was special. I thought that was our moment. And, and to lose that in overtime was you know pretty devastating. But when you look back and you see 63,000 fans showing up for a soccer game, you know, in, in a football city, uh, that was a, that was a big, I thought a big step forward for soccer in, up in the New England area. And how was it playing for Steve Nichol, who obviously had a very successful career as a defender from Liverpool? Um, did you learn a lot from him as a defender and later as a coach? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Cause when I, when I first, you know, I played a lot more midfield, uh, in Miami. Um, and so I was playing more of a right wing, left wing. I, so a lot of times I was more of an attacking player there, um, had filling it outside back and midfield at times. But, um, so when I got to new England, I actually was brought there to be, um, the right wing and, and play in front of Rusty Pierce. Uh, but then in 2002 when Stevie Ralston came, uh, became very clear that I wasn't going to beat him out for a position. So I had to, I had to re refigure my game to be a right back. And so, yeah, Steve Nichol was really helpful in that. Um, because his, he, he, a, he, he lived it. He knew, but I, I tried to win every challenge. And Stevie was like, why are you trying to tackle everyone every time? He's like, just slow. You're, you know, don't, you don't have to win every challenge. He's like, just making the guy go backwards. That's, you know, winning. And I, and it, even though it's a simple coaching point, it, it actually meant a lot because it or taught me a lot because I did, I wanted to, I thought I could, you know, change the game with every challenge. And, and there's just times when you can't do that. And, um, I think he, he kind of started to guide me and when you can do that, when you make the sacrifice to really lay on the line and, and when you don't. And so that was really important. Um, but the reality of what Steve Nichol did was he was, a, he was, and, and is this day, he's, he's a, he's a selfless person. Uh, no ego. And he, that locker room, he allowed that locker room to really be, be a living, breathing thing. And, um, and that was, that was something I took away. And I'll be honest with you, that was something that I really felt strongly about as a coach. Um, I, I actually loved watching the, the players get on that zoom call from the 2014 team. I think that was something that, that as a coach, I tried to do as well is that you, you have to have strong personalities in the locker room and you have to let them be themselves. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you know, make some decisions on their own. And in, 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 in well, you, you set a tactical plan and a game plan. There's a lot in that locker room that you have to let uh, be living, breathing things. And and that was that was something that I was excited to hear after that that Zoom call from 2014. 
Let me just want to ask a couple more questions about your playing career and save some time for your coaching career. Um, was, was that 2005 Revolution team the, the best team you were a part of? Well, I'm blending the five. Is, is the, I'm trying to think if five or six was better. What, what, who, left from, who left from five to six? Because um, six was think, good. Yeah, I think Kent Sala was more of a part of the five team. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think who else was the the big changes, but right, Dempsey was gone in 06. Um, yeah, Kinsale, I mean, Kinsale, obviously, I watched the, the replay of um, of the it was the the um, Cono Smith game against um, I guess against the Metro Stars, but against New York, and you you know you forget how good he was. Pepe was good. Um, yeah, I mean, that was. We always, I think, what we did was we had a really good blend. You had the, the guys like Pepe, guys like Taylor Rawson that could that that could um, change a game. Dempsey at any moment, you know, they were they were so so gifted. Um, Pat Noonan as well, so gifted on the ball. And then you had guys that were willing to sacrifice at every move. Shari Joseph, um, you know, I felt like Rusty Pierce, Joe Franchino, myself, like we would do anything um, that we could to make sure that that we won. And then you had Mike Parker, who was just um, you know, class all the time and could read the game and, and kind of uh, pick up the pieces whenever whenever we messed up. You guys finally won a trophy with the U.S. Open Cup in 2007. Did that kind of feel like a weight was lifted off your back from kind of the, the disappointment from those MLS Cups? You know, I mean, yes and no. I mean, those MLS Cups are, you want them. And I, don't, I don't know if that ever was enough. I mean, it was a great, it was a great moment as a club. And I think it was a, it, it was a great moment as a, as a team, um, I really love celebrating that. And, um, it was a great story on the athletic about that. And, um, everything that was written in there was true. Cause I was there. Um, but <laughs> those, that, that was a, that was a good group of guys and we deserved to win that. We deserved to win the, uh, you know, the super league. And, and, and to be honest with you, I think we deserved to at least win one or two of those championship uh, MLS cups, but we didn't. And things went, you know, for whatever reason, we never got over that hump, but you know, yeah, I think it was nice, but I, I still think all of us have a lot of regret. Taylor, you know, Steve Olson, myself, you know, that, that we never were able to get there. And you retired in 2009. You were 33 at the time, and you were still performing pretty well. You had just made some appearances with the national team, and you were named Defender of the Year, Revolution Defender of the Year. What led you to retire, and did you consider playing in the 2010 season? I did, and and here here's what here's what happened. I don't know if I've ever told the story. So. I kind of made it in my head was like, you know, I was, I was, I kind of was asked to take a, um, a pay cut. And, and so I was, I was, I always said, look, if, if, if they're asking you to take a pay cut, then, then they probably don't think you're performing at the level you, that you want them to, or that they think that you should be. So, you know, I, I thought through it. Um, I actually had, there was a Philadelphia was, was starting then. Remember they were, um, they were, they were an expansion team that year and there was a lot of interest coming out of there. Um, so, you know, I think I, I paused. I think I thought my time in New England was probably done. Um, I could have probably played, but, you know, I didn't want to. I, if they were asking me to take a pay, I kind of figured as much that they were probably, you know, ready to move on. So um, I, I paused, thought about it. But then in the end, you know, my, like, you know, I, I'll, I'll say I, I love New England. I love playing there. I love Kraft family. Um, so so that, that was you know, I thought it was time for me. It was a good time. It was, a, you know, like we said, we went to the playoffs. We weren't the best team that year, but we fought, got in. Um, that was a, you know, we weren't the most talented team, but we, 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 we fought hard. So yeah, ending on that was, was, was always difficult because I, I wanted to play one more year, but um, I would have been chasing a championship and I don't know if, if it would have felt as good if I didn't win it in New England. You came back a few years later as the coach in, in 2012. Um, were you nervous at all about replacing Steve Nickel? 
Yeah, I talked to Stevie about it quite a bit. Um, it was yes, and it, it was a really it was the team had just it was a difficult time, um, you know. And I don't know, you know how how that goes. And I know yeah, I think Stevie, um, you know, in, in his conversations, and I actually read his book and kind of how it how it ended with New England. It was probably more of a mutual decision than it was, you know, him just leaving on his own or getting fired or anything like that. So, um, you know, when I did take over, Stevie was one of the first people to call, and I think he. He was really good and really helped me, you know, navigate, you know, call it, you know, just, just some of the, some of the things I would have to learn to navigate, um, internally, right. Like how, how, what the relationship was with Mike Burns and Brian Bellello and the Kraft family and where the coach sits in that whole, um, the whole, that whole conversation. So that was really good. And, and Stevie was instrumental in that. So yeah, I, 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 you know, I didn't feel like I was replacing him. I felt like I was taking a lot of what he was doing and, and, and trying to, you know, to add to that, um, you know, with, with, with some of what I had learned along the way. Was it weird at all for you to coach some of your former teammates like Matt Reese and, and Shari Joseph? Yeah. Yeah. And I was a little upset with Shari saying what he said. I read an article. I was a little bit bummed about that. Um, it's always hard, right? Because um, the Shari one is a little different. The Matt one was hit right in right away. Um, because right away he was in a, he was in a contract restructuring. They're trying to get him to do new contracts. So I had to sit down with him and talk to him about it. And, um, and so we, we were friends and we actually lived on the same street. So our wives were, were close and, and still are. So that was a very difficult hurdle. Um, but we got there and I think Matt, you know, Matt was, was huge in our, you know, our 13 run and, and the form he got, um, in that season was huge. And that, that, that I think really propelled Bobby to that next level and, um, in 14 and 15 and even on, to, even on, even on further. So yeah, I thought that was a first step. Shari was difficult because, you know, I, I was the one ultimately that, um, had to tell him he was traded. Um, well, I didn't, you know, make the decision or make the call on that, you know, it landed on me to make, make the call to, to him and go see him. And that was very difficult, but, um, you know, we brought Shari back in 2014 and he was, you know, he was obviously injured in, in, at that time, but, um, I, I wanted Shari back around the group and, um, you know, cause Shari's a winner any way you slice it. And, uh, and I want him around the group to be a part of that. And then, and jumping forward a bit to 2014, um, we started as a bit of a roller coaster and then had a kind of a lengthy summer slump. You've been a part of a lot of revolution teams that had kind of been in similar situations and then came back with a, a great run to, to get momentum into the playoffs. When did you believe that that team was capable of kind of the run they went on at the end of the season to, to make that trip to MLS cup? So, you know, I've, I reflected on that year. That was a, um, it was a roller coaster of a year because we, we actually finished really strong in 13. You know, we, we probably, if things had been a little, if we had done a, just a little bit better, not giving up that goal to Colin in, 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 um, at home right before we went to Kansas city. So it was two, you know, it was two, one when we went there, if it'd been two, zero, been a different story. Um, but, uh, you know, so we had a lot of momentum, a lot of young players and we were, we, felt strong about it. You know, we thought we drafted well, you know, bringing in um, Patrick Mullins and Steve Newman. So we felt like we were at a good place and we started the year, I think we started a little slow, but then we, then we, then we picked up and had some really good wins and, and some really um, big wins um, that we felt like, all right, we were pretty good. And so when, the, when we got hit with this slump in, in call it June and, and July, it was really strange because it, it was, it didn't feel like we should lose any of these games. And here we were and, and, and we were in every game. It wasn't like we were ever blown out. It just never felt like we could get the stride. And, and I remember we made, um, we made, you know, one of the keys and, and, and I'll say this was we, we started, you know, we probably held Charlie, Charlie Davies out of the lineup and 
we played in Dallas and we lost the game and in every game we were in and we would score a goal and it'd be close. We might be winning and might lose. And there's just, it just seemed like if it, if it could go wrong, it would We lost in pretty much every which way. Um, but Charlie, the, the one thing I noticed in that game was, um, how, how Charlie played, he didn't play the whole game, but his teammates were on the edge of their seats rooting for him and, and wanting to do well. So I remember that and we were in, me and Tommy looked at each other in, in, in Dallas and we're like, you know what? I, I think we're going to be all right here. The, the, the mentality of the group, while we were losing, never felt like we were out. Um, and by the way, we were never really out of the playoff picture, just a little while. I mean, we'd won so, we had, I think we went to like six and three or whatever it was. We pushed ourselves up. So when we started to slide, everyone didn't run away from us. So we felt like we were in it. Um, and then we came home and, and the night before, I'll never forget this, the Jermaine Jones thing was kind of happening, but we played, um, we played a home game. I think it was against Chivas and, and we won and we won that game and it was like, okay, we flipped it. We needed just something to get that, to get that, you know, kind of weight off our back. And then, then we got Jermaine Jones the next day. I remember I got a call, you know, Hey, you know, we did get Jermaine Jones and, um, there's more to that story because everyone thinks that Chicago started that conversation, but Tommy and I started talking to Jermaine, um, in June, long before Chicago even came into play. And, um, actually it was, it was, it was a little bit nixed early. Mike and Sunil kind of nixed it early, um, because they didn't know what the money was. And so then we kind of fell out of the conversation, but the Jonathan heard about Jermaine being in the picture. So all of a sudden, um, that got escalated pretty quickly. So, so that was how we went from not being in the conversation, um, to being in the conversation. But the reality was we were in it early, um, before Chicago even got into it, but that's a sidebar. But so when we finally got Jermaine, it felt like, okay, this is, this is something because, you know, we felt like we had stopped the bleeding. We got on the field and then I knew we were going to go on a run when I saw the way Jermaine showed up to that first training and the way the players, Lee Wynn, um, Teal Bunbury, these guys, their games instantly went elevated. Charlie's, I mean, everyone's game got better the minute Jermaine got there. And it was because they were, you know, they were, they were intrigued by this guy. He was, you know, he just had a great World Cup, but he was also demanded a lot in training. He was also worked his butt off in training. So you just felt like it was an elevation. I remember after that first day of training, I was like, all right, we got something here. So um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we always felt in it that year, but once we got Jermaine, I felt like we could make a real run. A lot of fans were frustrated following that 2014 MLS cup run. The roster remained mostly unchanged. Um, obviously you lost AJ Soares, um, which seemed to be a bit of a blow. Was there any frustration from you, uh, that the front office didn't seem to bring in another designated player or reinforcements on the back of that run? You know, I- I think my just, I mean, I wouldn't say, yeah, I think I was disappointed because I think we could have been better. I don't think we played our best, you know, losing AJ hurt. Um, you know, that was move Farrell in, try to try that position there, but he was you know still a lot for him to take on. So yeah, it was, it was, that was a tough year, even though we made the playoffs and we probably should have done a lot better. Um, but you also had not just, it wasn't just new players. There was a lot of guys that were upset that their contracts weren't dealt with. And so there's a lot of, a lot of things like that, that, that just kind of carried over. And, 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 you know, it's going to happen, happened, you know, when we played in, in, in 2005 and six and seven, like you eventually hit that, that wall where, you know, in, a, in the salary cap league, there's just, there's tough decisions you have to make, you know, you might have to sell a Dempsey or you might have to, you know, not resign Lee or your, you know, there were just really tough, you know, conversations happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think in 15, I felt like we were good enough. Could one or two more players have added to that? I think so. Um, 
you know, 16, we made the Open Cup run again, and, and still, you know, we, we were still probably missing, you know, one or two players. But I always believed in our group. I always believed that we were a playoff-quality team. I still, you know, even, um, you know, even looking back, um, you know, after I was fired, you know, I still believed in that group. I still, you know, I was actually pretty resentful of some of the comments that Brad uh, Friedel would make about the players because I, I felt personally, I felt like they were, you know, any attack he made on the team or the roster then, you know, really, really hurt me because I, I believe the players. I still believe in the players on the roster now. And and I told Bruce Arena as much um, when he took over. I said, you're you're going to find talent in there that 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 maybe, you know, other people don't believe in, but but really give them their chance. And, um, and, and I think he's done that really well. And one guy who I think has shown their talent once they got a chance was Matt Turner, who you guys signed as an undrafted free agent out of uh, Fairfield University, I think it was. Right. Um, and I, I know Brad Friedel gave him his first start, but I think he was on your roster for a couple of years. What did you see in Matt Turner? How did you find this guy? And did you ever think he was going to be at the level he's playing at now where he's getting calls up to the National League or National Team? Sorry. Yes. And you can go back and, and you can, I, I was, I wish we were Mike during all that time when we were playing. So look, Matt was raw as anything. So Remy found him and Remy Roy. So I give Remy, all, Remy found him. He's, you know, that was his kind of thing. And then, th- so then when we had him in training, you know, Matt would make saves that would head scratching saves, saves that you see now on, on a, on a game day where you're like, no, no way he just made it. It reminded me of, of um, it reminded me of Aiden Brown type saves because he's long and you're making saves that, you know, Matt Reese could make an unbelievable athletic save, a kick save and, and things. But Aiden Brown, because of their size, would pull things that were in, out, you know, just claws come out. I think of, we used to call Aiden Brown the paw because you could grab anything. And I saw that in Matt. And I think Matt, it took Matt, Matt was, when you looked at him from his, from his ability, you knew he was going to be really good. The, the key for him was getting games and where he could get games and creating his, you know, obviously his, his footwork had to get a little bit better, his, or, you know, his actual, his, his technical ability with the ball at his feet had to get a little bit better because that was a little bit behind. Um, but we, we knew, I mean, I, I remember we, Remy and I talked about it because we, we just didn't know when to really pull the trigger on him. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, I don't know if, you know, 2017 when we were under a lot of pressure and, you know, if that would have been the right moment for him to get his start. Um, but we, we talked about it quite a bit. So we, we knew going into that and I knew um, that he was going to be someone that was going to be, you know, a big part of, of New England going forward and, and someone that, that, that had a huge upside. Uh, one person I did want to ask you about real quick is Lee Wynn. There was a bit of a contract dispute in 2015, and then he held out in Brad Friedel's first year. He held out a preseason. Did Lee say anything to you about in 2017 about his contract or a trade, or do you think that was a situation that developed over the offseason? Um, no, he Lee never – the contract was always – an issue um because he he kind of came in and you know he, he had i look at him as as having probably the he was one of the best players i've ever coached and and i and i love the kid he had a you know the issue there was he came in at minimum salary right in a, in a, in a big deal we got him from vancouver he had a great year so we re-signed him he had another great year so we gave him another contract and then he had an unbelievable year so it was like how many times can you keep re-signing him but you know he was such a big part of what we were doing. So we were always fighting for that kind of what that balance was. And, and so there's a lot of closed door conversations, you know, what we could get them. Um, you know, it was, it was not an easy conversation. I mean, Mike, Mike Burns and I had a lot of dialogue about it. We, we back and forth because I knew how important Lee was. So it started in 15. 
Um, where Mike was able to get something in, in, in six, you know, 15, it was a, you know, wasn't the deal we totally want. He had another good year in 17, 16, 17. So the contract was always there. Um, but Lee, I, I know, you know, he loved playing, you know, for our group, but I think, you know, I got, I got fired. I think, um, situation developed more and the, the money was still there. And, you know, Lee was, you know, when you get to 29, 30, you're, you know, you start really understanding that you have value and you need to get a new contract. And so I think, um, you know, he did what he did and, um, you know, I, I don't fault him for it. Um, you know, I, I would have probably felt a lot differently if I was sitting in the head coaching role. Um, but, um, you know, it's always a tough, tough time. And, and I remember it was, it was, it was tough. I mean, I, that's when I talk about the, 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 the MLS cup in 2014, some of the hangover, um, his contract was always one of them. Is there anything you know now that you wish you knew in 2012 when you were a first time head coach? Oh, I don't even know if I, I <laughs> yeah, I wish I would look, I, I loved every minute coaching up there, even in the hard times, you know, I love, I love, um, I love new England. I love the, like I mentioned, the Kraft family and, and, and my time there. Look, it took me, it took me a little while to kind of bridge that gap once, you know, I think, I think once, once Bruce arena went there and I really have, I have high respect for Bruce arena. I think he is, um, exactly what was needed. Um, and, and so I think once that happened, I, I reopened up my, my love for, for the organization in a way where I'm, I'm, I'm all in in any ways to support, you know, the players that are there players there's i think 10 or 11 players that were on our roster at one point even some some homegrowns that i you know help coach along the way so huge huge um huge love for for new england i wish i could go back though and, and, and kind of to answer your question i know i'm getting around it in 2012 is to, to take a breath and enjoy it um you know it's, it's a it you i felt like the, the task was so large and i never wanted to let any fans down i didn't want to let anyone down i, I worked my wife will tell you this i worked um harder during that time than in any time in my life. I mean, there was, I wouldn't, I put more hours in doing film because we didn't have a video staff. I put more hours in, you know, we only had, you know, you look at coaching staffs, it was myself and at the other time, Jay Miller and Remy Roy. I mean, it was three of us, right? And, um, and it was, it, that was the first year, first two years. Then we brought Tommy in, but it was just three of us at all times, you know, and that's finally got a strength coach yeah, full time. Um, but it was really, it really was and Nick Downey was more of a part-time. So those were challenges that we, we had to overcome. And, um, and I felt like, you know, I probably overworked myself in a way, but I, man, I wish I could enjoy those wins because there's nothing better or even just a goal, you know, even just hearing the boys are back in the crowd. I mean, those, those, those are moments I look back on and, and I wish I could have enjoyed a little bit more. Would you ever be interested in coaching in MLS again? You know, it, it, it so, you know, full disclosure, I've been approached, um, twice now since I've been here. Um, once last year, uh, and once kind of in the, the lead up in 18, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say never, I think, you know, I, I really am enjoying this the, the kind of call it the, um, the, the, the GM and president side of it. So, um, you know, I, I would never say never, but you know, I've really enjoyed it. And, and the project here is, is like I mentioned, it's a startup. It's, it almost combined what a startup company would feel like with, with no employees and renting, you know, the office for the first time where, you know, redesigning a stadium in some, in some ways and, and not having, you know, it's not unlimited dollars. So you have to be really smart and, 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 and creative in, in how you do things, how, you know, creating a season ticket base, creating a, you know, a sponsorship base. Um, those are all things that, 
I look back on in, in my, you know, and have learned so much and, and love being a part of. So, you know, right now I'm, I'm focused on, on this task at hand and, and, and really excited about this challenge. And, and so I'd never say never, but I'm really, I'm really happy in the space I'm in right now. And before we let you go, we want to know what was your best experience? We usually say best experience as a soccer player, but we'll, we'll just kind of expand your entire career because you've kind of done it all, GM, coach, player. Um, what would you say has been your, your best experience overall in your soccer career? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, but I'm trying to – I really think, to be honest with you, it was, it was, it was 2014 – winning the Eastern Conference um, at home against Red Bulls, which was a really talented team. And um, being able to do that in New England, um, you know, with, with the fans that, that came out, um, you know, going to New York and then coming home and, and playing in the second leg at home. I think that was, uh, for me, one of the really special moments because, look, it had, it had, been, a, it had been a long time since we'd been, been there. You know, 2007, um, the team went through a huge transition from – 2010, 11, you know, not, not making the playoffs. 12 was my first year. We didn't make the playoffs. And then to get there 13 and back in at 14, I thought was, um, you know, a really, a really good moment for the club and, and something that I look back on because, you know, I had family there. I had friends there. And um, that was a special moment. Okay, well, Jay, we really appreciate the time you, you've given to us today. Thank you so much for joining Revolution Recap. And I, I was joking with uh, Sean before the episode. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the SNL skit uh, where they have the five-time host members club. Uh, yes. You, if, yes. If, if you ever come back on, we're going to start the five-time Revolution Recap guest club. And I get a jacket. I should do I'm going to have a club. That would be funny. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, we'll, we'll make jackets. We'll send them down to Birmingham. But thank you so much for the time today. We really appreciate it. And best of luck to you in Birmingham. Thanks. And keep doing what you're doing. You and Sean, you guys got to keep doing a great job. And, and uh, look, you guys give great sides to, to what's going on there. And that's really important for the fans to be able to hear. And again, that was former New England Revolution head coach, defender, and current Birmingham Legion general manager, Jay Heaps, who you know was very gracious to come on the podcast for the fourth time, three times as a player, and now coming on as the Birmingham Legion GM uh, it was very exciting to talk to him and get a you know another revolution legend on the show. It's kind of funny that we've ended up with so many defenders. Maybe maybe we should uh, get a forward or a midfielder on soon. But you know, great interview from Jay Heaps. And I did want to quickly touch on before I wrapped up the kind of exciting news that uh, the Revolution have finally returned to individual voluntary workouts. Um, this news broke by CBS News uh, Boston. Uh, but exciting news and something positive for the Revolution as we get closer to that potential. Uh, June 1st time where the teams go down to Orlando and perhaps have that tournament. You know, we still heard more reports about that from the athletic, but nothing final yet. Uh, Greg, do you think it's big news that the revolution are back into individual voluntary workouts at Gillette stadium? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's minor news I would say, because I kind of expected them to be training around this time. I, I think they got the green light to actually use their facilities a few weeks ago, but um, certainly these guys are all on their, individual training, you know, regimens already. We talked about to Henry Kessler about it a few weeks ago, uh, about how they check in and how they're, they're kind of doing their individual plans. So, um, I, I think this was kind of the next step towards, uh, restarting the season. And I, I'm not very surprised. So I, I don't really see it as a big news item. Uh, but I do think that it is a very, very positive step for bringing back soccer in the near future. Yeah, you, you mentioned players doing their individual workouts. It was interesting seeing Gustavo Bo posting videos of him working out at some random park in, in Somerville. Um, but, uh, you know, a bit more 
well, I guess still not too formal since they're working individually, but a, you know, a bit more opportunity to participate in, in drills and stuff when they're, you know, at the field with all the the typical practice equipment they have. So, you know, good news for the revolution that they're they're back in training. But um, I guess we have to to wait to see whether this Orlando uh, this Orlando tournament that we're now hearing will be something like a, a World Cup format if it does happen uh, actually happens. Um, and w- with that, Greg, do you want to give our, our social media handles and where people can follow us? Yeah. If you're new to the show, you can follow us at revolution recap on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page revolution recap, and please subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes or wherever you can listen to podcasts. And please feel free to give us a five-star review. We always appreciate uh, positive feedback. And as always, you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. We don't know when the next podcast will be, but we're probably going to try to get either a current or former player at least once more before this Orlando tournament happens. If it does happen, um, you know, knock on wood, hopefully it does. And we get some MLS soccer to talk about again soon. But we'll, we'll keep you posted on Twitter when the next episode drops. Thanks again for listening.